All right, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I wanted to welcome you all, those of you that are worshiping here with us online, uh, in, pre- in person, and those of you that are worshiping with us online. Um, you have no idea what a privilege it is for us as staff of the church to have the opportunity to worship with you and learn and grow together. Amen? For the last few weeks, we have been doing a, a series called Gospel Culture, in which we are looking into 12 different, different biblical traits uh, that help us define what it means to be the church, according to the New Testament. Twelve different, different biblical traits that uh, gives us a, kind of a blueprint of the things that we need to believe and practice in order uh, to us to experience a spiritual renewal. And twelve biblical traits that are the tools necessary for us to continue to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. The whole purpose of this series is to, is to walk through these 12 things that have these three different purposes. It gives us an idea of what a biblical church is, gives us what is needed for uh, spiritual renewal, and it gives us what is needed to be re- for us to re- in order for us to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. So far, we have talked about the supremacy of the scripture, the centrality of the gospel, the power of prayer, the pleasure of worship, the pursuit of the common good the significance of leadership, and the practice of the means of grace. Today, we're talking about biblical trait number eight, which is the discipline of generosity. Now, I know that that topic is not very popular, very cool, and I might lose some friends today. It's okay. There are two assumptions when you hear the word generosity. Automatically, I I, I could feel it, people. I, I could just feel it. The first assumption is that there's people here or worship with us online that when they hear the word generosity from a preacher, you automatically assume that I'm going to ask you for money, right? (laughs) And I want to say that you are so right, (laughs) but don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to surrender just money, I'm going to ask you to surrender your life. Because the second thing that we, the second assumption that many people have when we talk about generosity is that generosity is just about money. But what you're going to see is that the Bible does not talk in terms of generosity, or it doesn't reduce the concept of generosity just to money. But as Christians, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to live a a generous life in all areas of your life, not just with your money. So don't worry. We're going to talk about all of that today. Stick around to see what the Lord does. Amen? For that, we're going to be reading Acts chapter 2 from verses 42 to 47. And then we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. And if you have your Bible, please go there. If not, we're going to put the verses on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and then Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. Chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to break in of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4, starting in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that they were no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owe land or house or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the, apostles, at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Let me pray again. Lord, we, we know that every time we open the Scripture, we are being encountered with your word, with your presence, with your power. Therefore, Lord, I ask for the presence, the ministry, the person of the Holy Spirit that allow us to understand, to believe that the words of this text transform our affections and influence our will. Because at the end of the day, Lord, we want to live a life that shows the power of the gospel in our lives. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. you may take a seat. So today we're gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm asking the text these three questions. Why generosity? Why generosity as a discipline? And why generosity in the church? Why generosity? Why generosity as a discipline? And why generosity in the church? Let's talk about the first question. Why generosity? I, I, it's always good that when you're going to uh, take a text like this, that you give a little bit of context to understand the meaning of the text. Now, for this occasion, though, I, I want to invite you to imagine yourself in the book of Acts for a second. Actually, I think that you should always do that when you're reading the Bible. But for now, is, is imagine yourself experiencing everything that the first century church is experiencing. Because the, the, the way I'm going to show it to you and what I want you to see is that the Lord is doing amazing things in such a way that it feels weird that it feels scary, but that it's also awesome at the same time. All of these things come together. So, for example, in Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus resurrected, he shows himself to the disciples and, the, and his followers for 40 days in a row. 40 days, day after day, the, 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 Jesus continues to show himself to the disciples. Maybe, 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 just, just maybe. These people were doubting that maybe he was a ghost, maybe a vision, maybe an illusion. So for 40 days, he shows himself to them. And right before he ascends to heaven, he commissions his disciples and commissions his church to be witnesses of him. Meaning, to live and to die for him. Now imagine that you're there and you hear this, and you're thinking... 
Well, surely Jesus is going to give me what I need. He's going to stick around so I could fulfill my call. But just when you think that, Jesus ascends, ascends to heaven. And now you got to ask the question, what was going on in people's heads? What would happen if the one that is supposed to be for us is going away and he calls us to do this thing? Now, the story gets even better because when they're together, they're praying together, they're meeting at home, and the Bible says this. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing um, of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is known as Pentecost. Once again, imagine that you're there. You're having your, really, your, your little Bible study, your praying time. And out of nowhere, the room turns violent. And you hear the wind moving back and forth. And to top it off, you look around and the dude next to you has fire in his head. What, what will you do? <laughs> what, what do you do? This is all the Lord working in amazing ways, prepping his church for something better. Now the story gets even better after that. Because Peter preaches his first sermon. Such a powerful sermon that 3,000 people surrendered their life to Jesus. All kinds of people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus. People from different backgrounds and ethnicities. And this is where the New Testament church starts. Weird, scary, and awesome. Now, the reason why I wanted you to get that is because it is clear that the gospel is doing something. It is clear that the Spirit is moving in amazing ways. It is super clear. And the context of the verses we read today shows you the evidence of the Spirit moving and the evidence of the gospel transforming people. The topic of generosity is important because it is an evidence of the Spirit working and the gospel transforming people. There is no church in which generosity is not an important thing. Let me show it to you. It starts in chapter 2, verse 42. And look at what it says, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Can you say fellowship? fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I put the word koinonia there so you know what, what I mean in the original by fellowship. Before I do that, I want you to see that this is a learning community right from the beginning. This is a, a community that believes that the Bible should be at the center of everything. That the Bible is supposed to shape the church and shape the, uh, everything we do. But then we have this word fellowship. In which it shows us that the first century church was not only a church that liked to learn what the Bible said. But that it was a loving community. The word fellowship, koinonia, can be tra uh, translated in different ways. It could be translated as association communion, close relationships, partnership, connection. I love this translation, fellow feeling. But the root of it can also be translated as sharing and generosity. That's super interesting. To have fellowship with someone 
To have fellowship within the context of the church is not just to have fun. It's not just association and communion and close relationship and partnership. To have fellowship within the context of the church means to share and to be generous. It's an evidence of the gospel. It's an evidence of the power of the Spirit moving because of the power of the gospel. Now, I want to show to you what we see in this text, what generosity looks like in a very practical way. It shows you three things. Generosity is about sharing your life, sharing your space, and sharing your money. All three things come together at the same time. We don't get to choose which one of those we like. We get to do them all because it's an evidence of the gospel. Sharing your life, sharing your space, and sharing your money. Now, what happens in the rest of the text is that it shows you how they put it into practice. So, for example, at the, at the, at the uh, bottom part of verse 42... It says that they came together for the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it seems to be like if these new believers come together as a church and they share their life doing church things, like breaking the bread and praying together. It doesn't stop there, though, because in verse 44 it says that the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Not only they were sharing their lives, but they were sharing their things, including sharing their possessions. It tells you again what's happening in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, we could say the church. They broke bread in their homes and they ate, to, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Notice that fellowship, sharing, and generosity cannot be reduced to church things only. This was extended to their homes, their space. I want you to see how this sharing not just your life, but your space, your home, is a very important thing in the life of the Christian. That's why hospitality as Christians is extremely important. Is opening the doors of your home, of your apartment, is one of the evidences that the Lord is doing something in your life. Look at what it says in verse, chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, and they shared everything they had. You know, I love that verse because it tells you that the attitude of these believers was to say, everything that I have, I hold, I hold with open hands. And that everything that I have, listen up, church, is for me to share. Everything I have is for me to share. Every possession I have, everything the Lord has given me, anything that I have worked for is for me to share. To the point that for first century Christians, verse 34 says, that there was no needy person among them. That's a crazy statement. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them. It was distributed to anyone who had need. You know, if, when you pay attention to the story, the 3,000 3, people that we heard about is most likely men. Meaning that in that number, not, nor females nor kids are included. So let's say that it was about 10,000 people living there. 
or got converted there. And there was no person in need in that community. Can't you imagine what that looked like? Like the relationships were so close. They were living in with such proximity that they knew who was in need and who was not in need. Now, just in case there's a brother or sister here that is wondering, wait, hold on a second, Hannibal, that's socialism. Well, first of all, pay attention to the phrase from time to time, meaning that this is a group of people that saw the need of somebody else and willingly were willing to sell their possessions to fulfill the needs of somebody else. It doesn't say that everyone did it. It doesn't say that it was commanded. It was what people did because they loved people. And just in case you haven't, you don't understand that concept, the Bible knows nothing about socialism. This is why one of the Ten Commandments says that you should not steal. That means that you have the right to have your own things, to work for your own things, to buy your own things. That's not the problem. The problem is not that we have things. The problem is when things have us. The problem is not having possessions. The problem is when those possessions have us. To the point that you're not willing to replicate what the first century church did. To sacrifice for the sake of others. There was no needy person among them. If you really want to know what generosity looks like, you have to learn that generosity is about your life, your space, your money, your possessions. Remember how I told you that I was going to ask you for money, but not just money? That's what I'm asking you for. Your life. That's what generosity looks like. Your life, your space, your money. This might be the reason why John Stott said that Christian fellowship is caring and sharing. It's about sharing your life. It's about going into people's lives and allow people to get into your life. Caring enough for people that you're not in the business of accumulating goods and toys. It's about caring for people to the point that you know what you have and you're willing to let it go for the sake of others. This might be the reason why Rosario Butterfield said that Christians are not fearful hoarders, but fearless givers. That's a beautiful sentence. You could tweet that and then give me credit. <laughs> Caring enough for others is when you're willing to share your home. Let me quote her, let me quote uh, Rosario Butterfield again. She wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she said, let God use your home, your apartment, your dorm room, your front yard, your community gymnasium, or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that is the point. Building the church and living like a family, the family of God. You know, this morning when I was editing my sermon, uh, as I'm reading this, this image came to mind. So my, one of my daughters belongs, like all of our kids, to a small group. And the leaders of, of her small group are really young couple. And like many young couples, their first house or apartment is this big. <laughs> Actually, no, it's this big. 
And they have opened the doors of their tiny, tiny apartment. You have no idea how many times. And every time my daughters and another 10 girls get in there, and I'm thinking, how do they fit in there? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You have no idea how much that has meant to my daughter. And how much that has shaped her character, if you will. That's what church looks like. You share your life. You share your space. Let me, let me spend some more time on this hospitality thing because I think it's extremely important. Hospitality in the Bible is so and so important that it's one of the things that the Bible requires of church leadership. Don't you find that interesting? First Timothy chapter 3, it says, Now that the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-control, respectable, what does that say? Hospitable. A few weeks ago when I was talking about church leadership, I said that most of the things that you find in 1 Timothy and Titus about church leadership, it, these are not things that the Lord requires only of leadership, but these are things that the Lord requires of the church. But that as leaders, we model, by, we lead by example, and we model what that looks like. And the Bible says, that for the church and for the leaders of the church, hospitality, sharing your space is extremely important. Listen up, church. Not just to the church people, but to everyone the Lord brings your way. Why do I say that? Because the word hospitality shares some of the same uh, core values that generosity has. Hospitality can be also trans be translated as brotherly love or loving the strangers or welcoming the strangers. This is why the church in the first century was so effective, you know? They knew how to love each other and they knew how to love other people. This might be the reason why in verse 47 we, we find this. Um, that the believers were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You have no idea how important this, this is today. Not just that we learn how to share our life with one another, but we learn how to share our home with one another and with others outside the faith. To be generous is to share your life to share your space, and to share your money. See, the gospel transforms everything in your life, including your bank account. This might be the reason why there's more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about this thing. So when a believer tells me, Hannibal, you shouldn't talk about money, I don't know how to read the Bible like that. How do I skip 2,000 verses? That's why we got to talk about this, even though it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. You remember that little verse in 34 that says that there was no needy person there and that there were people that were willing to sell their possessions and put the money at the disciples' feet so they could distribute the money accordingly? You know what I find fascinating about that text? No one told this church that they had to be generous. They didn't need this sermon. No one told them that they were supposed to be generous people. 
Nobody mentioned to them that they were supposed to give the 23% that the Old Testament required. Nobody told them that they should tithe, give 10% of your income. These people were just eager givers. This is the same thing that we find in Acts chapter 11. When it says that there was a bunch of members that were going through a severe famine and the church gathered and gave. This is the same thing that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. When it says that the Lord's people gave every week according to their income. This is the same thing that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. And this is a beautiful example of what it means to be the church. It's the church of Macedonia. It's a church that is going through severe trials and extreme poverty. And it says that in the midst of their severe trials and extreme po uh, poverty, they were rich in generosity. Listen up, church. Generosity is not about giving God your leftovers. Amen. And it's not about giving God and people in need when you have a good deal or you got a bonus. What the Bible shows us with this church is that we are to be generous even in our poverty. That's how you know that the Spirit is moving and that you have been transformed by the power of the gospel. This is also the reason why 1 Timothy chapter 6 calls all of us who have a lot. Now listen, if you don't think that you have a lot, if you have a TV, you have a lot. If you have access to health, you have a lot. If you have access to public transportation, you have a lot. So this text is talking to me and it's talking to you. Look at what it says. It calls all of us who have a lot not to be arrogant, not to put our hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Meaning that the Lord doesn't have any issues with us enjoying what he gives us. But then he says this. He commands us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Do you know why the Lord gives you so much? So you have more to share. I heard this this week. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds pretty cool. He said, not only, we all know this, that we live in the richest uh, country in the world. But if all Christians in the United States would just give the 10%, there will be no po poverty in the world. That's how much money we have. The Lord calls Christians to give to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 5. The Lord calls Christians to give to the church and to be generous to people in need. To be generous, church, is to share your life, your space, and your money. Can you do me a favor? Look at the person next to you and say that. To be generous means to share your life, space, and money. Go ahead. Doesn't that make you feel uncomfortable? Just a little bit, right? That's a good thing. Now, 
Let's answer that, answer the first question. Now let's try to answer the second question. Why generosity is a discipline. And you know that disciplines, the purpose of a discipline is to shape you and transform you. See, when you exercise discipline, what you're trying to do is to become the person that you ought to be or to be transformed by the things that you do. For Christians, generosity is a discipline because it's transforming us and forcing us to become the people that we ought to become, to be more like Jesus, to be like the person the Lord calls us to be. And I find it extremely important that in verse 42, right at the beginning of the text we read, he uses the word devoted. Now, that word is interesting because we can translate it as intense effort. You know that discipline requires an intense effort. Generosity requires an intense effort. The question is why? I want to give you one answer with two things. Generosity is important for the believer because it's both countercultural and counter-nature. Our culture says that your job is to accumulate more, to make more money, to buy more toys. Once again, nothing wrong with your toys. You can share them with me if you want. <laughs> but life is more than that. And the culture also tells you, and our sin also tells us that we should put ourselves first. That's our nature. So one of the things that worries me, that worry me as a pastor is when I see the church being influenced by the idols of the culture. So for example, I'm going to give you four idols of our culture really quick. Our culture worships sex and sexuality. Right, people are obsessed with sex or trying to define what, 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 what's your sexuality, if you will. Second idol of our, culture, uh, of our culture is freedom and individualism. Third idol of our culture is comfort and entertainment. Fourth idol of our culture is money and power. Generosity helps you fight against at least three of those. This is why generosity must be a discipline. And I'm going to give you three things here. You must learn to see generosity as love in action. One thing that sharing your life, sharing your space, and sharing your money have in common is that it's costly. You must learn to die to yourself if you want to be a generous person. Love, in the Bible, is when you choose to do something or give up something for the sake of somebody else. As believers, we cannot allow ourselves to be so busy and so concerned with our own things, individualism, that you don't have time for people. That's not loving. As believers, we must learn to sacrifice our comfort for the sake of others. That's what love requires. As believers... We must learn to see our money as something that the Lord has given us as, as a tool to invest in things that matter. You know what matters? People. That's what you give to the church. Because the church is supposed to be for the glory of God and the well-being of people. And that's why you got to give to those in need. Because it's an investment into what matters most, and what matters most is people, even if it's costly. I want you to see generosity also 
as stewardship. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in which he says, you are not your own. This is so counter-American dream. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, honor God with your bodies. Better translation for that will be, honor God with everything you are and everything you have. See, the problem we make, or the struggle we have, is that we think that our lives are our lives. And we forget that you were bought with a price. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. You don't get to do whatever you want with your life. We get to do what God calls us to do with our lives. We could transfer the same principle to your space. Did you know that your house is not your house? Your apartment is not your apartment. I mean, I know that some of you will be paying your house for 30 years. I mean, that's what it is. But it's not your house. Good news, though. At the end of 30 years, it won't be your house. It will be God's house. Listen to Rosario Butterfield again, which she says, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs, but as God's gift to use for the expansion of the kingdom. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. So I'm glad that you have a home. Share it. And that principle also applies to money. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says that what you have, you have received. Yes, you work, but it was a gift from God. Yes, you did things, but it was a gift from God. Everything you have, everything you are is a gift from God. This is why I personally struggle when people would say, I have a hard time understanding the 10% thing. Giving 10% of my income. You know what the problem is with that? That you think that your money is yours. Listen up. If you think that 100% of your money is yours, 10% sounds ridiculous. Why would I give 10% away? By, by the way, I think that 10% is the bottom. That's where you start. I'll tell you why in a second. I want to invite you to change your mentality on that one. Because if the money you have is from the Lord, 100% of your money is from the Lord, it's not that he's asking you to give him 10%. He's letting you keep 90%. Did you get that? I mean, that was awesome. The Lord lets you keep 90% of his money. Tell me God is not generous. It changes your mentality and how you see your life. We are only stewards. Our life belongs to God. Our homes belong to God. Our money belongs to God. I want you to see generosity as a process of sanctification. See, I told you that this is countercultural and counter-nature because the only way you get to live this life is if you choose to die to yourself. You only grow when you learn to die to yourself. 
to let people into my life and to get into people's life, I must die to myself. To let people come into my house, I gotta die to, I have to die to myself. To not be ruled by money. To be willing to let it go is to remind myself that my money is not my God. God is my God. That's how you grow. So my invitation to you, church, is that you learn how to invest in people's lives. Use your talents and abilities and calling and all, of these, and all these things for the purpose of God's glory and the well-being of others. Listen up, church. This is why in the church of Jesus Christ, we should never, ever, ever, ever have any positions when, when we need volunteers. Because we are all here to serve a greater cause than ourselves. It's to serve him, love him, and love others. Maybe the Lord is calling you to share your home. Maybe some of you need to open up your home for a life group or a small group or something like that. Maybe you need to be intentional about inviting people into your home that you would never invite. To love the stranger, to welcome the stranger. Maybe some of us here need to understand that generosity it's not just about how much money you give, but how much money are you willing to give until you have to change your lifestyle. So for some people, 10% is a sacrifice. And for some people, 10% is not a sacrifice at all. That's why the New Testament doesn't call us to give only 10%. It calls us to sacrificial giving. And lastly, I want you to see generosity as worship. And this leads to the last question, why generosity in the church? Now, the problem with this sermon is that if you stop here, some of you might feel guilty. And some of you might get out of this place saying, I'm going to start sharing my life, I'm going to start sharing my home, and I'm going to start sharing my money. You know what the problem is with that? By the time you get to the car, you will forget or if I use this as a way to make you feel guilty, by the time you get to the car, your guilt is gone. Therefore, you need something else. Did you notice why is it that these people were so generous in verse 46? He said that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And it is from this verse that I see that generosity is an act of worship. Nobody's complaining, oh, I have to give, oh, I have to. Not. No, it's, it's, it's an expression of gladness and joy. So the following question is, where do that gladness and joy come from? And you find the answer in chapter 4, verse 13. 33, I'm sorry. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was Powerfully working in them all. You know what turns you into a generous person? The grace of God. You know what's motivating and it gives you joy and empowers you to be a generous person? The grace of God. The grace of God extended in Jesus Christ. 
The grace of God that was given to you when Jesus came, lived, died, and resurrected. The grace of God that tells us that God loves you so and so much that his love is costly. So and so costly that Jesus had to leave his home in order to give you a home. His love is so and so costly that not only he wanted to share his life, but he shared everything he had. He died for you. His love is so and so costly that he didn't come to give you money. He came to give you what money cannot buy. True joy, true happiness, true peace, and salvation. It doesn't doesn't matter how much money you have. You can buy that. Did you notice that one of the ways how the first century church shared their lives was by breaking the bread at a church? And this is the reason why we're going to do this today. When we break in the bread, we are remembering that Jesus is love in action personified. When we participate in communion, we remember and celebrate the grace of God displayed in Jesus Christ. When we participate in communion, we experience and remember the generous grace of God. We see it in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, who is this celebration for? It's for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If that's not your case, this meal is not for you just yet. But I want you to take this opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. And for us as Christian, it's also, Christians, it's also an opportunity for us to examine our hearts and to see if we are actually sharing our life, our space, and our money. And if that's not your case, this is an invitation for you to repent and to surrender your life to the Lord again and to enjoy the life that he wants you to live. So I'm going to give you just a few seconds there. That's between you and the Lord. If there's anything that you need to surrender, this is the time to do it. I'm going to ask you to remove the first cover, remove the bread. And this is what the Lord says. And this is what the Bible says, that on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Now you can remove the second cover of your cup. 
And the Bible reminds us that in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, as these elements enter into our system, I pray, Lord, that we recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still needed, it still needs to enter into our hearts. Lord, because we want to live a life that gives you glory and is for the well-being of others. Because we, do, we, we don't want to surrender, Lord, to the idols of our culture and the idols of our hearts. Because we want to demonstrate, Lord, what it means to be generous lives because we have a generous God. Because we want to live lives that are willing to sacrifice because we have a God and Savior that sacrificed it all for us. Lord, we don't want to live today generous lives like if we have to earn something. There's nothing, Lord, for us to earn. Everything that we could possibly need, we already have in Jesus Christ. We want to live generous lives, Lord, because it's an evidence that the gospel got to us. Because it is what gives you glory. Because it helps us invest in things that matter. And because he helps us to die to ourselves for the sake of your glory and the well-being of others. Would you please, Lord, make of us generous people with our lives, our space, and our money. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, 